Thanks, guys. It's beautiful. I trust your heart's been prepared to, to open the Word and to consider the, the truths of Scripture. They are deep and rich and beautiful. We continue in our study in James. So this is uh, part two of taking a look at well, how in the world do, do faith and works work together? And so we'll take a look at that in just a minute. But before we jump in, a couple of things I want to say. It's, it's a joy to gather together this morning to worship the living King with you. And we don't come for a small thing. We come for this huge task. Now, sometimes I'll, I'll say to, to us, remind us, we have a high view of Scripture here. And, and what, that, what that really boils down to, what it means is that we believe that from eternity past, God's Word was settled, and it was spoken to authors and they wrote down as they were inspired. Second Timothy tells us that, that every word of God that we have in the scriptures is God-breathed. It came from him. And so if God can create in six days and hold all things together, then we here believe that he can inspire an inerrant word and he can preserve it from generation to generation. And he has indeed done just that. God cannot lie. And so if we have a word from him that is spoken out of him, this word that we hold in our hands, this this copy that we hold today, it is true. And there uh, there, there are no places where it contradicts itself. There are places where we need to understand what it's talking about. But there are no places where it contradicts. We are in a prime example of a passage of Scripture today where taken at face value, someone could say, it sure seems like what James is saying about faith and works is different than what Paul said about faith and works. What's the story there? And we're going to get to that as we move through the text today. But suffice it to say from the onset, we want you to know, and and I want to remind myself, we believe that God's word is inerrant and there are not conflicts within it. Uh, There are places where we need to understand it better. And the final thing I'll say before we jump in to actually read the text is that means that God's word is authoritative over us. As a church, it teaches us about him. As an individual, it teaches us what God requires. It teaches us who God is. It teaches us to trust him. It teaches us to look into our own hearts honestly and ask the Spirit to illuminate our brains so that we can understand what God has inspired in his Word. And that's what we're about this morning. As we open up this Bible, guys, we love together to learn. Nobody's coming here trying to be the big lecturer telling you what it's like. You know, we're here today because we believe the scriptures are inerrant, they are authoritative, they teach you and me, and we learn together. And we learn how to not only how to understand it and who God is, but that also has implications for how we actually live our lives day to day as we apply it to our lives. So it's really cool to be here today with you to open this passage and ask, what is God teaching us here? All right? So with that said, James chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 20, 
And we'll go down through verse 26. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture is fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to say biblical words and to discuss biblical ideas. And we are so thankful for this so practical and helpful look at what it really looks like to live out a faith. I pray that you'd come and teach us And I pray that in teaching us, Lord, that uh, we would grow, we would humble ourselves, and we would um, obey your word. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's there's an authentic faith, and there's the fake faith. Faith. That's what we're getting at a little bit today. In fact, this whole passage is really not trying to say what you really need to do here is make sure you have enough works in your life. That's not what this is saying at all. And so uh, I want to say at the beginning, and I'm going to say this again at the end. This passage does not teach you and I that we should rush out and find places to do good works in the world around us. And if we do enough good works, God will be pleased and see that those good works must have come from some kind of faith, and therefore he'll reward us. That's not what this teaches us at all. Beware that you're not reading this as a how-to list and leaving this place and saying, I'm going to have to fill up my life with good works, because that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is James asking you and me what kind of faith saves? What kind of faith is the kind of faith that is real and authentic? Now we see from the get-go in verse 20 that there are going to be people in the congregation of God's elect, of God's, in God's people, who are going to argue that we can have a fake word-based, paper kind of faith that's just about the words. You see that in verse 20? Check it out. Uh, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Now, he's writing this letter to God's people. And so there's a foolish person within God's people who is having influence over us and saying things like, you know what, at the end of the day, faith is only a belief in your heart. And if you have a belief in your mind and in your heart, that is sufficient, and you don't have to prove it with good works, you know, the rest of your life. 
And James is just taking that foolish person to task and saying, listen, that's just not true. That foolish person would turn over to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. If you want to turn there with me, you can. And that, that foolish person might say, well, see, here's what it seems to say. It says in Genesis 15, 6, and, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and uh, he, the Lord, counted it at, to him as righteousness. See, he just had faith. There was no you know, tangible results to that faith. It was just an act of his mind to believe that there is a God out there. James has already taken us last week in our passage to the reality that demons have that much faith. That is not the kind of faith that saves. Remember last week when we learned James chapter 2, verse 21, the demons believe that there is a God. In fact, they go one step further than that. One step further than United States Christianity. One step further than mental assent, check it off on the list, Facebook status, I am a Christian. One step further than that, the demons tremble. They are terrified because they know who the one living God is. And James last week was telling us, that's not saving faith. You believe that there is a a God out there someplace? You think that makes you a Christian? He's taking that kind of mindset to task. And he is is, uh, stating it in no uncertain terms. If you would allow yourself to be drawn down that path, you're a fool. That's the word he uses, not me. You're a fool if you think that you can say that you're a Christian and say that you believe there's a God out there and not back it up with a changed life. And and so he's really worried and concerned that the early church was going to let these people of influence come in. And so he's having this, this, this kind of verbal sparring match with an imaginary opponent and he's calling him a fool and saying, you can't stop at Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Yes, of course, Abraham had faith. And that, was, uh, that is what uh, justified him before the Lord. Listen, in, in Romans, Paul says, no one is justified by the works of the law. And so what are we to make of this relationship between works and faith. Uh, Paul is teaching us about how one becomes justified before God. The legal moment before God where he comes and sees your faith and in heaven itself because of the work that Jesus has done, he drops the gavel and announces or declares that you, as you have repented of your sin and placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you are justified. That is a beautiful thing. That's what Paul is teaching in Romans 3 because they were confused. But in James chapter 2, James is teaching how one walks in righteousness. You see, Paul is teaching us about God's initial judicial verdict, not guilty. James is teaching us about the conduct of true religion kind of people. And if you look earlier in chapter 2, he uses that phrase, this is true religion. Don't shy away from the word religion. Just make sure we have true religion. 
Paul is teaching us about true faith at conversion. When we come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, James is teaching us about true religion in sanctification. That is, I am following Christ day by day and becoming more like him. He's, he's growing virtue in me, changing me. Paul is teaching us about what is the means of justification, the legal definition of what it means to be justified. How does that happen? It's in Christ alone. James is teaching us about what kind of faith saves. And so while they do say, James says, you know, faith alone does not save, the key word there is alone. Faith that remains alone does nothing, does not perform the, the wordplay is basically faith that does not work doesn't work. Not sufficient. And so it's really important we get our arms wrapped around this. Paul has in mind entering into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. James has in mind walking with him day by day as we go throughout our lives. So let me ask you this. As I was going through this this week, I was like, before I go on, i got to really understand, what is good works? And so we're on our first example here. We're going to look at the life of Abraham. So uh, authentic faith in Jesus Christ is illustrated in the actions of a Jewish patriarch, Abraham himself. But what are good works? You know, there's a difference between good works in faith before God and humanitarian efforts that the world is full of right now, okay? So let me just walk it through for, for a moment so we get the picture here. Abraham, in Genesis 15, he was told that he was going to have, uh, he was going to be the father of, of a large nation. He was going to be the father of a child. He was old, he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and eventually, remember, he made a counterfeit plan because God was taking too long. And so instead of having a child with his wife that God had promised, he went and had a child with her handmaiden. Well, that messed up the family, and it wasn't God's plan. So he had to live with the consequences of that. He had to repent of that. He waited again. Finally, God came to him and said, oh, about this time next year, you're going to be the father of a son. So he was. He was 100, she was 90. Crazy that God would, would give them that, that benefit when they were way too old, right? So then Isaac is this child of promise, and years later, he's 13, 14, 15. We re really don't know. He might have even been a young adult by the time we, we read that that. Uh, God came to Abraham and said, you know, I want, I want you to lay Isaac before me and sacrifice him. Now, this is a hard concept for any one of us to understand, but realize this, in the sovereignty of God, God never intended for Isaac to die, right? That, that this was a test of Abraham's faith. Realize this, that even when Abraham was following after him, and I want you to, to imagine this moment, okay? It's the one son you have left because literally the other, the other son, if you remember, he had a son named Ishmael. He sent out with Hagar and, and kicked him out of the family, basically, and they went and wandered. He only has Isaac left. Doesn't know where they went. And, and so God comes and says, I want you to bring your son before me and sacrifice him to me. 
Again, mind is blown. The picture, certainly, of God sacrificing his own son for us, we see that the the sacrifice that God uh, allowed Jesus to be on your behalf and my behalf is mind-blowing. How much love? Because there was no other way for sins to be forgiven. But nonetheless, for a human father to give his human son, his one and only, this fulfillment of the promise that that Abraham's been waiting for his whole life is the only son that, that, that Abraham believes can carry the promise through. And even when he walks up to Mount Moriah, he sends all the people away, he's literally going up to the mountain with just Isaac and some firewood to an altar. Hebrews 11 later explains to it, to you and me that he thought he was convinced in his heart that if he he did indeed sacrifice his son that God was going to bring him back to life that somehow there was going to be this miraculous thing so even when God was asking Abraham to do something impossible he believed that God was going to do something impossible right back to make this promise come to be now here's the point I started by asking this question what are good works Good works are are opportunities for you and me to act in accordance with our faith in real life. I could give you a bazillion examples of that. How we think about money. It's all his. We manage it for his glory. That changes how much money I spend on me, right? How you think about how you dress, how you think about who you serve, how you think about your anger. Because if I'm an angry person and I know that God has had his anger against my sin taken care of in Jesus Christ forever and I come into relationships and I remain angry, I do that outside of faith. I am unwilling to submit to him. But if I come into relationships and more and more I'm realizing that my anger in this relationship is the problem and I repent of that, then I do an act of service. I do works. As I compare my anger to God's anger and realize something's got to give. I got to change. You're a young person. You're in a relationship. And you think, man, I'm going to maybe have to give a little in this relationship, even though I know God would not be pleased by that. An act of service, a work for you would be obedience and holiness in your relationship until and through the days that you are married out of obedience to the Lord's command. So so works are me saying, no matter what my heart wants, no matter what the world around me would press in and try to tell me, no matter what the cultural pressures are, I will serve the Lord in faith. And that's exactly what our Jewish patriarch friend did. That's what Abraham was all about. So Abraham comes to this crazy crisis of faith and and, uh, realizes that he's going to have to make a choice here. He could do what his fatherly, humanly fatherly mind tells him to do. He could do what his, his culture would tell him. And by the way, have you ever come into that moment where you say, God, I see what you're asking for, 
but I'm not going to give it. I mean, direct rebellion? Complete disobedience? You know what God's asking for and you will not do it. That's faith in word only. It's empty. James would say it's a foolish person who would think that if the pattern of your life is verbal, word-based, words-only kind of faith, that it's going to do something in heaven. It's not doing anything. And James wants you to know it. James wants me to know it. So what's the difference between humanitarian good works then? Why can't I just go out and say, look, I've got some Christian faith. Now I'm going to go out and, and, and volunteer at Habitat for Humanity or wherever, a million great places that you can go. Well, humanitarian efforts, guys, if that's your works, it's motivated by man's glory, by man's fame. Christian good works are motivated by God's glory. Humanitarian efforts our submission to the culture around us. And you say, oh no, I want to do good work. Listen, the culture around you wants you to do good works. They want to produce kindnesses towards one another without God. Right? But Christian good works is is motivated by submission to God's authority. I will do what God has called me and commanded me to do. Humanitarian efforts flows from trusting myself. I will do this. I can make a difference. And there's nothing wrong with making a difference as long as Christian works, Christian good works, it flows from believing God. Listen, two people can show up at the same place, do the same work, but one is motivated out of faith in God and the other is motivated out of, well, fourthly, how they feel. I serve because it makes me feel good. That's humanitarian effort. Christian good works is based on putting on the mind of Christ and serving others. Humanitarian efforts in the religious realm, because you can be religiously humanitarian, it is basically saying, God, I'm doing good works here. You've got to count this on my ledger as something you see and, and something that proves that I deserve to come to heaven one day. And so I'm trying to win God's love. But Christian good works don't try to win God's love. Christian good works want to share God's love with the people around us. And so, guys, this message is not about you and me going out apart from faith and filling up my ledger of good works and saying, here, here I am, God. Look, I've earned my way into your, I've mostly earned my way into your good favor. Now you have to reward me. Not at all. If Abraham didn't start with Genesis chapter 15, he had come to God through faith then his actions in Genesis chapter 22, when he finally laid his Isaac down, would have no meaning. So it's the faith that gives the work meaning. Listen, it's equally, equally dangerous place here to say, you know, uh, my faith is dead, which is what James is worried about. We're doing nothing. We're just talking about it. But here's an equally dangerous situation. I don't have a faith in God. I've never entered through Jesus Christ. I've never laid my life down before him and given him full control. I've never repented of my sin. 
but I'm filling my life, life up with really good humanitarian effort. And so I hope one day that God up there is going to reward me for these humanitarian efforts. Oh, he says it to all of us, foolish people don't fall into either one of those categories. Come by Jesus Christ, be justified, be declared innocent of all the sin that you've done because the the penalty for your sin has been placed on Jesus Christ and allow the reality of that faith to shape every decision you make in life. I jotted down an actual um, uh, definition of good works, and so I'm going to read it, but guys, it's long, so... If you want to write this down, feel free to. And if you don't want to write it down, just write, good works is that which flows from faith in God. It's aimed at God, right? But here's what I I wrote down for myself this week. Uh, Good works are acts of obedience, compassion, and service that are motivated by God's glory and done quietly as one believes God's promises and submits to God's authority in faith. I'm going to go back and read that again. Acts of obedience, compassion, and service, which are motivated by God's glory and done quietly. I'm going to read the whole thing again in just a minute. I say done quietly because look at Abraham. Actually, uh, yeah, Abraham, um, he leaves Sarah and he takes Isaac with him with just two dudes and then says to the two, two servants, look, just wait here, we're going. So he takes Isaac quietly up to the place where he is going to potentially sacrifice him. He takes him quietly to that place, just the two of them. No one else is there. He, there's no Facebook status update. There's no trumpet God writes this down for our benefit so that we can know what happened here. But listen, many of your acts of service are going to take place at a place where nobody else is going to see them. They're going to be done quietly. You're not going to fanfare it out there. You're not going to let the world know. It's just between you and God as you do that act of service. So, okay, acts of obedience, compassion, and service motivated by God's glory. And done quietly, as one believes God's promises and submits to God's authority in faith. Some good works come in crisis or crises. So here we have this crisis in our life. We're going to look at Rahab in just a minute. And for me, I have found that the, the faith stressor in the moment of crisis is where the most growth takes place. So I have this moment of stress in my life and there's this, this what are you going to do? Are you going to follow the Lord or are you going to do it your own way? Kind of moment. And in that crisis moment, I've gotta, I'm choosing, okay, I want to serve the Lord. And that's where the most growth takes place. This example with Abraham is one that he, he knew what God was asking of him for 25 years. Now, he had a moment of crisis when he's going to lay his Isaac down, but waiting for God to come through with his promise took years and years, probably 20 years, 
There's 10 years before Ishmael is born, I think, and, and then more years before uh, Isaac was born. So he was waiting. He developed his own plan. And by the way, it messed with his family and it broke relationships. He had to repent of that. While he was waiting on the Lord, he came up with a counterfeit plan and did it his own way. And it messed with relationships the rest of his life because he didn't wait on the Lord. And so... I guess what I'm saying here is that there's another kind of, of works that come daily in mundane faithfulness. Boy, that's a phrase that's rung true with my heart over these days. It's just everyday faithfulness, day after day. And that is the kind of work that you do when you decide what clothes you're going to wear and how you're going to spend your money and how you're going to drive your car and, and how you're going to treat people around you and which part of your personality needs to be given over to God today and in obedience. Those good works come daily and in mundane faithfulness and I found that that's where the most joy comes from. The most growth comes through crisis obedience. The most joy comes through daily obedience. But the kind of faith that doesn't produce change and action in our life is the kind of faith that is dead and empty and does not save. And that's what James wants to get us, get across here. So I I jotted down a few questions for you and me to consider about our own lives. Uh, Question number one, how has my character changed since I trusted Jesus Christ? You and your wife could have that discussion. Ask her, how has, your, how has my character changed since I trusted Jesus Christ this afternoon? You won't have to say anything the rest of the day. Just listen. Take notes. Ask your kids, how have you seen my faith in Jesus Christ change my character day by day? Now listen, your kids are younger and they're immature you got to listen carefully when they're answering that question, but they've got insight to my life for sure. How has my character changed? How do I, what do I do differently today expressly because I believe God? Your, maybe it's your profession. Maybe it's the way you go about your business. Maybe it's a, a, a service in the church, a ministry that you are so committed to. Maybe it's uh, something you do with your time, something, something you read about because your neighbor is a Mormon or because your other neighbor is an is a, a atheist or an agnostic and you are reading and reading and reading because you want to understand and you want to enter relationship, but you're doing that from faith because your heart is to see this person come to faith in Jesus Christ. What are you doing in faith differently today because you trust the Lord? Would I risk social embarrassment to serve the Lord. Listen, that's coming for all of us. Because I'm just telling you, up until about five years ago, it was so easy in the USA to check a box. I am a Christian. I believe that there's a God out there somewhere who's looking down. I think there's a man upstairs who cares about me. Right? And for so long, people in the United, casual Christians around the world have said, well, see, I'm a Christian. I believe there's a God up there. And we've already said it today, but I'm going to say it again. James already confronted that 
and said, believing that there's a God up there somewhere, not enough. That's not the kind of faith that saves. The kind of faith that saves changes me. The kind of faith that, that saves produces work in my life. And the last question I ask questions to ask me with regard to good works, uh, would I risk my life to serve God's kingdom? So you say, well, why do you ask that question? And, and we ask that question because authentic faith in Jesus Christ is illustrated number two in the actions of a Gentile prostitute. And, and the whole point of, of James, I love James. He, he is really, you know, Paul, when he took up the how is someone justified in Romans chapter 3, how does that happen? He says, well, to the Jew and to the Greek, it's exactly the same. To the Jew and the Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been. The way you come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is the exact same way. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us need a Savior in Jesus Christ. James says the same thing. He says in this passage, in essence, guys, we have to have the kind of faith that actually changes us. And it doesn't matter whether you're Abraham, the example of faithfulness, the male patriarch of, of Israel through all the ages. It doesn't matter if you're him or if you're Rahab. The Gentile prostitute that we know almost nothing about. It doesn't matter if your whole life was wrapped up in the story and God took you from Ur and brought you to the promised land or if we know just a couple of weeks of your life and your past was one of prostitution outside the covenant people of God living in the corner of the city your whole life. It doesn't matter who you are you come to faith in God and you continue to walk in faith in God in the exact same way. Rahab's story, Joshua 2. Here she is in Jericho. The people of Israel had been promised that they are going to have the promised land. They were promised that a long time ago. And if you remember, when they came out of Egypt, they were supposed to go straight into the promised land, but they had some guys who were disobedient. And to make the long story short, after they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and Egypt was killed behind them, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But word of what happened went all throughout the promised land. Rahab tells us this in Joshua chapter 2. She knew the story. So here we go. We fast forward 40 years. Now Moses leading the people. And they're on the, if you can picture this, there's, and I'm going to use this as our, so we're all looking the same direction. On the east side of the Jordan River is this huge group of land, but most of the promised land is going to be on this side of the Jordan River. And so as the people of Israel are wandering, they wander up this direction, and they, they defeat two kings on this side of the, the river. Happened like, Two weeks before Joshua chapter 2. So Rahab has her ears open and she says, Oh man, the God who let you walk across on, on dry ground 40 years ago delivered you? And the same God delivered the two kings on the, the Transjordan two weeks ago? She's like, I'm into this God. In fact, if you look at Joshua chapter 2, we see what Rahab is all about and listen to these words that she shares. 
chapter 8, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Listen to what she says now. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab, is it just words? Is it a bunch of words? No, James would say Rahab had faith. Do you see what she did? She took in the spies. She protected them. Can I remind you that as Rahab took in the spies, she was taking her life into her own hands. She was committing an act of treason against her own king and decided in the moment that she understood who this living God was and she was going to do anything and everything to be loyal to that God, even if it meant being in treason to her own country. Can I tell you we're not far from that? Where you and I are going to have to ask ourselves, will I be loyal to the king or will I be loyal to the king of kings and lord of lords? That's coming our way. Rahab faced it. And she is rewarded for her faith because in that moment she protected the spies, sent them out another way. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham is mentioned as a man of faith and Rahab is mentioned as a woman of faith to pattern our lives after. That is, people who started with, I believe that the God of heaven is the only living God and ended with, my actions and behaviors fall in line with his word and show other people that I'm serious about believing that that the God of heaven is the only God there is. That's what faith is. That's what true saving faith is all about. And so here we have Rahab. Can I remind you something? Oh, Abraham starts the line that leads to Messiah. Rahab lives in Jericho. She is saved from destruction. By the way, can I say a couple things about Rahab? She could have said, you know what? I believe God, but it's too hard. I can't act on this. What am I supposed to do? My whole life has been here. It would just like upset the apple cart if I do something about this faith. So I believe, you spies, that you serve the living God of the universe. Good luck. She could have said, it's too hard. She didn't. She could have said, uh, it's too dangerous. 
Uh, I will quietly hold my beliefs to myself, not wanting to risk my own personal safety. I do not want to die here today. She could have said, it's too late. Because the dust from across the, the Jordan River was probably visible as she saw the two million people coming and the heart of all of her fellow people and countrymen are failing within them. They're melting within them. And she could have said, it doesn't matter what I do. But you know what happens? Because of her faith, remember she hangs the red cord from the window and everybody that she can get from her family to gather in her little apartment there, her little inn in the wall, they're all saved. She, she could have said, well, it's too late. You know, it wasn't too late. Look at all the people that she saved because she acted in faith in the living God even at the last moment. My friends, if it feels like the last moment for you, do the faithful thing. If it feels like it is too hard and it is too dangerous and it is too late, or maybe it feels like it's too inconvenient. See what she's rewarded for? In Hebrews and in James and in Joshua, she's rewarded for opening up her home and taking the spies in, sending them out another way. Hospitality, opening up the house, bring them in. I know we live in a crazy world where there's a lot of dangerous things out there. Last week, Gary used an illustration of this guy who had this, this place in, the, in Europe called Labrie. You guys probably know a lot about um, Francis uh, Schaefer. But uh, what he had there was an incredible thing. But he, Gary talked last week about a couch that had like cigarette stains and, and, and all sorts of other problems in it because he kept taking people in like that. And I kept asking myself through this week, do I do that? There's cigarette, there's no cigarette stains on my couch. I quit smoking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's no, I don't have that. And so I started asking myself, where is this happening in my life? Yeah, there's hospitality and all these other places. And, but am I willing to say, okay, this is an inconvenient thing for me to actually do what my faith commands. But in an, in an expression of faith to God, I'm willing to, to have people in. I'm willing to open up a little bit. I'm willing to go beyond the comfort zone. That's not to say that all of us have to take in, you know, wayfarers, travelers through the, through the region. I'm not saying that. Because every one of us has to make you know, value choices. Some of us are not in a place where we can do that at all. Rahab was. She had an inn. She had a place for them to stay. And she invited them in. She's rewarded for that kind of faith. Listen, she did not come up with the too hard, too dangerous, too late, too inconvenient kinds of arguments. She said, okay, I believe this God. And I am going to follow after him with my whole heart, with my whole mind, with my whole body. She really did it. So, guys, as we look back now in James chapter 2, let me just move through the passage. Do you, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, apart from uh, that faith apart from works is useless? We've already talked about that. Was not Abraham our father shown to be just and righteous by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? See that his faith was active along with his work, his works, and faith was completed by his works. That word completed meant, you know, the whole point of us having faith 
is the goal that we would be changed in this world through those, through that faith and do something about it. We are so good at saying, it's not by works of righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8. But sometimes I stop short and forget that Ephesians 2.10 says that we, were, we are God's workmanship created to do good works. And so the goal of you having faith in this world, the, the target that we're shooting for, the, the aim is directly on this truth that my faith in God should produce good works in me. That's the whole point of us having faith. Not that we have faith that's dead, not that we have works without faith, but that we have a faith that works kind of faith. And he continues on from there. And then we look down at verse 26. We've already looked at Rahab. Verse 26, as we come to an end, we see the illustri- it was illustrated in the actions of a Jewish patriarch. But finally, in number three, uh, this authentic faith in Jesus Christ is clearly defined. The kind of faith that does not produce good works is useless and empty and dead. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. As we do not want to play church here. We do not want to teach a lot of true things that we can all say in our sleep and go home and say, well, now, now we can talk about religious ideas. We should be able to talk about religious ideas. We should be talking about theology all the time, right? But if my faith is just words, James doesn't want me to go through life and get to the end and get to heaven and see that God is not going to accept that flimsy, paper-thin ridiculous excuse for a faith that I talked about my whole life and it never showed up and changed virtue. It never changed up in a character that was different. It never showed up in the fruit of the Spirit. It never showed up in devoting myself to a ministry throughout my life that served the needs of the people around me and sought to win people to Jesus Christ. He doesn't want me to get to that point and just be surprised. And so he says, listen, you you foolish person. If it's just about words, I want you to know right now, that faith is dead. It's not going to do anything for you. So instead, let's take a look at how the Jew of Jews, the patriarch of all, how he showed that he had true faith, he let his faith accomplish something in his life. In his crisis moment, in his mundane faithfulness, he continued to believe God and he pointed his whole life at Jesus, the one to come. Let's look again at somebody you don't feel like you identify with Abraham. Let's take a look at Rahab, this nobody from nowhere, this prostitute outside the covenant people of God. How did she come to faith in God and how did she remain and show that her faith was real? She acted in obedience on what she believed. It's how you're saved. It's how I'm saved. It's how Rahab was saved. It's how Abraham was saved. And can I just tell you, it's going to be how God uses you and me to help save Sheboygan and Sheboygan County as we serve and love and give and show the world around us we are not Christians who check boxes and walk away and say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe there's a God out there. And James would say, big deal. 
Demons take that a step further. They believe and they're terrified. But do you submit to do what God has called you to do in obedience to the Lord's command? That's the kind of faith that saves. And that's when we can say with a clear conscience that uh, Romans chapter 3, no one will be saved by works of the law because we're saved by Jesus who kept the law perfectly, totally and perfectly coincides with James chapter 2 who says uh, no one will be saved by faith alone. Faith which remains alone is a dead faith. But faith that produces work is a living faith. And it's what James is all about. Let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, help us this morning because as we go from this place, we want not to go out and see how many good works we can do, but we want to look at our own faith this afternoon, this week, as a result of the last two weeks of teaching from James. And we want to ask ourselves, is it real? Or do I just talk about it? Do I just say that I'm a Christian? Or is there this deep, abiding trust in you that has changed everything in our lives? Lord, uh, for those that are newer in their faith, we pray that you would encourage them today. Not that they have to accomplish some list of to-dos, but that they look at their own faith and ask tomorrow, today and tomorrow, am I doing that which is in keeping with the Lord's command? Do I have the kind of faith that saves? Lord, our heart is that we would all grow together. We would all serve together. And that you would move in Sheboygan County bringing people of authentic faith together, maybe even in separate churches, but bringing us together to make much of your name, to walk with you together, and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.